25 years ago, The Orchard was a business in a little storefront on Orchard Street in New York. I knew about them because my band practiced a few blocks away and my bass player's boyfriend was the office manager. But what started in that modest office space as an idea for helping independent bands get their CDs into record stores turned out to be a pioneering company in the digital space and today is one of the leading distribution companies in the world. Welcome to the future of what? I'm Portia Sabin, president of the Music Business Association. On today's episode, we're gonna hear the story of The Orchard and talk about how the landscape of distribution is still in flux. It's all coming up on The Future of What. Can I have a taste of your ice cream? My guest today is Richard Goddard. Richard, welcome to the future of what? Oh, Portia, hi, and congratulations to you and all the uh, women out there in LA <laughs> getting uh, oh. elected as uh, you know um, uh, women in music for the year. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, I'm so excited. It's going to be really fun. We had a little cocktail party last night beforehand, and everybody was talking about how they're all getting glammed up, which is really fun. I mean, you know, you don't get that many occasions to, you know get false eyelashes and walk a red carpet. So it's fun. No, it'd be great. I look forward to uh, seeing it too. And of course you run into Colleen out there, which will be great. You know, she's absolutely. Terrific. I saw her last night. Very Oh, exciting. you did see her last night. Oh, so you probably were having a good yeah. time. <laughs> we were. <laughs> we're going to have a better time tonight. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, Richard, let's start this interview by by acknowledging the fact that you and I have known each other for many years, and I was around when you guys started The Orchard down on Orchard Street. Yes, yes. I'm trying to remember exactly what it was, but it was, uh, it, it was an amazing time, actually. And um, yeah, we did start The Orchard down on Orchard Street. And, uh, you know, the thing is, we started it um, because we had you know, like you, like, I'm not saying if I kill rock stars, but we had an independent uh, small record company with, um, you know, issues with distribution. I guess we were trying to find new ways of maybe promoting and uh, the newfangled thing, the computer was there and we went online and we try to tap into people's conversations that had conversations about similar artists to the ones we had. And um, yeah came across two record stores online. I don't know if you remember them. I mean, you go back to that time, CD Now and Music Boulevard. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. That's so funny. Yeah. So yeah. you found those guys. Well, we, we found them. And um, basically, um, I said to Scott, well, why don't we get in touch with them? And you know, there's there's not hardly any independent or no independent music. I mean, they said they had 250, 300,000 songs in their catalog, and you can just go on the internet and you could buy these things. And we contacted them, but they wouldn't take our content. You know, and it's like um, you just say why, and the answer was that they were virtual stores. They really didn't have the content. The content lived out in California at a place called Valley. Valley Media, back in the day when vinyl, when, when vinyl and CDs were the things that people got music on, 
and they were the largest supplier and uh, distributor of um, um, records. So all the major labels had their stock, or a lot of their stock, part of their stock, at Valley, and Valley would distribute it to smaller record stores. They were one stop, and to what we used to call rack jobbers. And we took a trip out to Valley, started talking to them about this idea. Now, I had no idea. I thought they wanted to see us because we were coming out there with a novel idea. But that wasn't what it was about. We got there, and it was in Sacramento, and we spent several hours talking, but not about the idea we came out with, which was to deliver to them all the independent music. And... They just wanted to talk about all the stuff that I had done before because they were music people. <laughs> so the questions were about the Burl building, what it was like, uh, you know, it's CBGBs, um, you know, because I had recorded all the early Blondie records, uh, Robert Gordon with the legendary Link Ray. And the record that I thought would represent an entire generation was Richard Hell's Blank Generation. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so they were, it's exciting times. They wanted to know about that. And then of course, you know, talk about what was it like in the beginnings of Sire? Um, uh, because I started Sire with Seymour Stein and then I eventually left to go back to producing records again. I still call them records, <laughs> but producing music, recorded music. And, um, so they go through the whole thing for a couple of hours. We have a good time. And they say, so what is it you wanted to do? I said, well, you know, <laughs> we, we can bring you all the independent music, which is not found. We couldn't find it on these virtual stores through the Internet. And they said, oh, okay, well, you're one of us, meaning you're part of the traditional music business. So it's a good idea. Uh, we'll go for that. And they went ahead and gave us the right to put independent music into their system. And then they went to these stores they supplied and told them that the way independent music was going to come into their stores would be through the orchard. So therefore, if you're an independent artist or label and you wanted to get into selling music through the internet stores, you were directed to sign up through the orchard that would then supply it to Valley. And uh, that was it. That was the beginnings. So as we kept thinking about it, Scott and I, Scott Cohen, by the way, who's no longer with the orchard, but I'm sure he's doing a good job for Warners, (laughs) you know, and I mean it sincerely. So we started thinking about, well, I don't know, is this all there is? What happens when all of a sudden there's the speed increases where you can find things more quickly, where, where, where you could get digital files in some form? Because it was very slow. The internet was very slow at that time. It was pre-broadband. So while we thought about it, we also started traveling and going to conferences and listening and listening to people with like ideas of what the future might be like now that the internet has started 
providing music. And, um, you know, we came to the conclusion there is this thing, digital, that's more than just CDs that the industry told us was a digital transformation from the vinyl. It made the business boom. But at the same time, they said, well, these will never be destroyed. Nothing will ever happen to them. They'll last forever. Well, they didn't quite last forever. I mean, they they got mocked up, scratched or broken, just like not as much as vinyl, but but like that. And we provided in the agreement a clause offering the agreement that uh, when you signed up with the orchard, that you also gave us the right to sell uh, store, deliver your music digitally. And it turned out we um, were right. That uh, that step was in the process of happening. There really wasn't much activity on that until Apple, mm. iTunes. And then everything changes. All of a sudden, the, the rights that we had uh, to about 150 titles uh, at the time we could now make available through iTunes. And the industry itself accepted um, iTunes and sales through digital downloads that they had been resistant to the larger industry as a whole, meaning the major label, because it was a disruptive, uh, it would disrupt the system. But with iTunes and Apple, here was a company that came along that had a billion dollars or billions of dollars in, in ongoing revenue and they essentially were saying, we pay you the same thing per download as basically you're charging anyway. You know, 99 cents, a dollar, three, you know, whatever the amount was. So basically everybody went along with it and digital was born, you know, and it made a difference into the orchard. We had been rolling along, you know, putting out music physically distributing it through Valley, preparing things digitally. There was a company uh, called, I think, Liquid Audio. I don't know if you remember them, but we went out there yeah. and um, they had devices where they could take CDs and and then you gave them the CD and they transferred it into digital, which then could be sold digitally or appropriated digitally, you know, in places like... Uh, uh, mp3.com, that was early days, um, and of course Napster. But uh, things began to change when Apple came into the picture. And the thing about the orchard, the reason we were able, I think, to survive through this whole process was that we stayed under the radar, essentially. We didn't seem to be competition for anybody because most of the bigger companies didn't really get involved in digital until the transition to Apple, you know. So um, we were there. And uh, the early days was pretty much financed by me and through the sale of physical CDs through Valley. But at the same time as all this was happening, just prior to the conversion to digital, Valley goes out of business. They go bankrupt. And, <laughs> and I'm laughing because I, it's not funny for the majors who probably had to settle at 20, maybe 25% in the payout from the bankruptcy. But we got almost wiped out because we couldn't get our content back because we didn't have the money to buy it back 
uh, from them. But we just kept going and found ways of keeping the business going until the moment of digital. So it's kind of it's kind of miraculous and uh, really a great story and a great lesson, I think, for anybody who goes into business of any kind, but particularly the music business. You know, you think you know everything, but you don't. It's it's not it's not predictable. It uh, you you have to have a good idea, believe in it, and stay in the game and stick with it. We were fortunate that we got to the point. Now, do you want me to keep going? I got a question. Well, <laughs> I love listening to you talk, honestly. But I'm just, you know, I'll just jump in quickly and and point out. I mean, basically, what you're saying is is you guys, you and Scott, were were very visionary in this era when. Really, people didn't know exactly what was happening. I mean, you guys started in 1997. iTunes yeah. didn't come into the marketplace till 2001. And yeah. so my band, which is one of those 150 titles that you guys represented, I was in a band in New York called the Hissy Fits. Um, yeah. We put out a record through The Orchard. And when we talked to you guys about what you were doing, we thought it was, it was that weird time when we thought we're using the internet to sell CDs. Right. Correct. And it hadn't made made that switch to suddenly no. you're actually putting the music itself as digital files on the Internet. And so none of us, I mean, I don't think any of the bands that were, you know, amongst that first 150 had any clue. You know, we just thought, hey, we're getting our music into stores. Well, like, well, still he, the old fashioned model. That Well, that was the idea. And if you get down to it, essentially, it's mail order. You know, right. Because we <laughs> we we would take it in. We would get an order from Valley. We would pack it and ship it. We had no idea what we were doing because we were learning as we as we went along. But as you said, the idea was for bands like the Hissy Fits to get their music into those stores so they could be sold online or sold anywhere because basically the industry didn't give you that opportunity because you exactly. unless you were through some sort of major or distribution setup, there was no way you could have been selling music unless you sold it at a show, you know? Um, exactly. But when we put the digital clause into the agreement, like you said, the Hissy Fits and other artists said, hey, okay, you know, if that's, if there's, it doesn't really mean anything, so it doesn't cost us anything. And, and truthfully, um, it worked out to everybody's benefit which is really great, but it is interesting. So the story of the orchard, as it, as it goes, and what's interesting about the orchard, I think one of the points is how did things change? How did we adjust? You know, and the, the great thing about the orchard is that it started off with a very real idea. And I look at it as because of what I did in the past, we were able to understand the past, which is essential to anything historical or, or music or if you want to think about history, politics or anything. The, the future is dependent on an awareness of the past and an understanding. And we could exist in the present by actually building a warehouse in the basement of our Orchard Street storefront and also take that extra step into imagining what the future might be, but not living in the future, living in the present and anticipating the future and building such a strong position 
that when the future appeared, you were able to take advantage and participate in it. So it was built in a very, very realistic sense. And as changes continue to occur within our industry, the orchard was in a position to adjust and to adapt and to take advantage. So it's, it's like one stream that just keeps going. So right about the time when, when iTunes and Apple and the digital world happened, it was, ooh, you know, it was right after the 9-11. Um, I tell you that story, the 9-11 um, um, attacks on the World Trade Center. And we were down in lower Manhattan. Valley went out of business. That horrible thing happened. And we had to move. We wanted to move uptown. And we moved to Fifth Avenue at 21st Street. That's another story I could get into. But right at that time, when we moved up there, I might as well tell you that quickly. So I go to a real estate agent. And at that point, all our, all, a lot of our assets were attached to Valley, which went bankrupt. So I'm at the real estate agent and I'm talking to him about this space that we want on 21st Street and Fifth Avenue. He starts telling me what the rent is and stuff and how much we need in advance. And I start telling him that, you know, we have to make some sort of deal because we don't really have the funds at the moment to do this and that. And he just looks at me and of nowhere. He said, don't you remember me? I said, no. And he said, I did sound at CPGBs when you used to do all those bands there. Richard, uh, I'll do, of course. Just, just, just don't worry about it. Just pay the rent on time. You don't have to give me months in advance. And oh again, God. history and all yes. this. So when you do something in the music business, I'm sure you talk about the history fits, Porsche. I mean, what you're doing now is directly attached to it. You know, with, without yes. that, there wouldn't there wouldn't be what you're doing in music biz and the years that you spent as a woman in music that's now being acknowledged and appreciated. So exactly. So again, the same thing happens. So here we are. We find another place to warehouse our stuff because we're still physical. And I had been serving on the board of some, um, I forget what company it was now, and the investors in it mentioned to me that, oh, they're, they're thinking of buying into something called uh, eMusic. And um, I said, really? Well, what <laughs> would you be interested in talking to me about investing in the orchard? Sure enough, they come in. And I have to say that investors are investors. They're in it to make money at the end and probably sell their interest and make um, make good profits for the investors that they represent. These guys were pre- these guys were good in the way that they also managed the business and they took over things that Scott and I were doing and allowed us to go about doing the things that we did best, which would traveling the world, going to conferences, talking to people, learning more, and spreading the gospel of, of what the orchard really is and could do with them. And with the investment 
that continued over a period of, uh, well, 10 plus years, we were able to convert to uh, not just working with independent artists specifically, but with labels as well. And Mm -hmm. they funded our trips so Scott and I could travel the world and find people in the territories that could work with us and represent us to aggregate content and to talk to people. And we started spreading globally. Now, I started going globally with Scott prior to this, so people already knew us. And where I got that knowledge from was from the early days of Sire. Sire people, you know, they think it's great. They had the Ramones, Talking Heads, Pretenders, Madonna, of course, um, endless, great success. But very few people know that the first success on Sire was from artists outside of the United States, a song called The Bicycle Song. It was from Australia. And a number one record called Hocus Pocus. Okay, they were an instrumental band, but they were huge. And Seymour and I used to take trips to Europe in the early days of Sire, because again, we had limited funds, but we would take trips there and we would deal with the export divisions at the major record companies. And in England, they were making albums already. In the United States, it was still more of a singles-driven business. We started picking up albums from the UK and from Holland, that's where we got uh, Focus, and releasing them on Sire. And again, just like what happened with the Orchard with Digital, the miracle of these of releasing these albums on Sire was that right at that moment, we were experiencing a shift in radio from AM to FM, stereo. Mm. Not every label had stereo albums. We had mm-hmm. tons of great music, or some great music, on <laughs> albums, and we became known for that. So that was the beginnings of Sire. So again, you see the, the change in technology, AM to FM, creating a moment that can be taken advantage of by independence. Majors were doing this as well. But again, it's another it's another example of how um, change impacts change in technologies impact the growth of our industry in different ways and allows people who basically are in the middle or bottom to break through. So I I think of our industry that way, and that's what makes me love it. So anyway, we're going on and on about the growth of the orchard because of the investors. And Scott moves to the UK and sets up the orchard's UK uh, business. He still lives there and uh, now considers himself uh, European, I'm sure. <laughs> but he, he was able to set that up. And we also slowly set up in Australia, we set up in uh, in France. We went to meet them, and people would come up. They the ones that were adventurous and thought the idea was interesting wanted to be involved, and we started engaging with people in all these territories. And the orchard began 
having small limited offices in a number of um, countries. And we would continually make deals with people to represent us until we were able to be strong enough to actually set up offices in these countries. I'll recall two things. One, one woman, uh, Laura Tesoriaro, she might even be out there with you. You see the president of uh, Latin Grammys. She came to us. She grew up in the business. Her family in Buenos Aires had a record label pressing plants and things like that. But she one day came to uh, the office on 21st Street and we talked and she wanted to be involved and said she could represent the orchard in Argentina. Well, Argentina eventually became her being the head of Latin America. And, you know, we were able to have a presence in South America. So that's an, that's an example of how we were able to grow. But subsequently, we opened offices in Colombia and Chile and uh, in Venezuela and in Brazil as well. Uh, we have a strong office in Mexico now. Little by little, we kept adding to where we now have 45 active offices in 45 different countries of the world, including, I, I hope they're okay, I haven't talked to them, including Russia. Oh. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, okay, that's another story. I mean, uh, history has to teach us <laughs> that these things happen. And the world's response seems to be one that makes, it, in this instance, a bit more sense than some of the responses. And, and, and it, hopefully it's not going to be as horrible as, uh, as we experienced in the 40s and in 1914. You know, hopefully yes, it's, going yeah. to, it's going to work out. And, but we do have an office in Russia. And um, the orchard was built by supporting independence and independent music. And as we went through the years, many years through the 25 years, we had very few hits. We weren't a hit-based uh, organization. Mm. It was right. based on providing services that continued to strengthen the independent sector. That's always been important to me. I've, until Sony came into this, which turned out to be a great thing, by the way, until Sony came into this, I don't think I was ever employed. <laughs> I, everything was independent. And I, I say it proudly, and I say it proudly uh, uh, being part of uh, the Orchard Sony now. But um, I was able to help build this organization and grow in the business by being pretty much totally independent. And uh, yes, and I really feel that's an important thing. And it made, it made what I was doing at the Orchard stronger because I understand and I appreciate uh, what um, independents have to go through. Now, independent yes. today is a lot different. Mm -hmm. Independent artists, partly because the Orchard was able to open the, quote, floodgates, the possibilities for development as independents, pretty much you can, uh, you as an independent artist go into a place like the Orchard or any number of other entities that offer distribution 
develop uh, yourself and uh, make a living as a musician, as a recording artist. That's not to say everyone can. It's a matter of how much work you put in, how good you are, and how you reach people. You know, it's uh, harder and harder when you're not able now to go out and and work live, but, but that's coming back. You know, so yeah. I really feel um, really uh, proud of what the Orchard's become. And eventually, we had hits, you know. Yes. Uh, I mean, I could point out BTS, where we, you know, we do certain things. We follow through with the delivery and distribution of it. But as independents, they, they were able to create a lot of their own depth and fan base. And we were able to fulfill the needs that they had. And as was Columbia, who did a lot of the other promotion along with them. I see our uh, Latin music doing amazing. Remember I told you the story of Laura? Mm -hmm. Well, that opened up the possibilities of all these things. And and we now work with, uh, an example would be Bad Bunny. Again, Mm -hmm. someone who developed an amazing fan base. But we perform certain services that enhance the possibilities of even more success for him. And it's wonderful. Mm -hmm. But the truth is, we developed and built an amazing business by staying, staying true to what our core was, to make music for independent people available in a system that made it possible. So if the possibility exists, you should have the opportunity. It doesn't mean you'll succeed uh, as, as a right. recording artist. It means that you have a chance. And that's yeah. all you could ever, ever offer anybody is the chance, the opportunity to make what you can of it and put, your, put, yes. put independence on an equal footing with people who uh, go through major labels. And that's about it. Yeah. When Sony, I was a little apprehensive when they sold um, the investors, left sold their shares to Sony, and Sony came in. And I was a little bit, I, I must say, I was a little bit apprehensive because I didn't know how it would be treated. But I have to say that Sony turns out to be a great company. It's run by a really, really, really competent and really great music man, uh, Rob Stringer, um, who, when they took over the orchard, could easily, uh, if it was somebody else, could easily have rolled it into their other distribution setup, which was red at the time. And instead, they took red and rolled it into the orchard. Yes. Yeah. That's how that which was out. really impressive. And what it did for the what it did for Red was amazing. But what it did for the Orchard was also amazing because yes. the people at Red that came in had experience with things that we didn't have at the Orchard. So mm-hmm. there was that combination of still loyalty to independence, but they had the ability to recognize radio to agree, to recognize marketing, to deal with physical in a different sense, you know? And that was, that was really, really 
impressive. And those people are still with us. And they bring they bring the level of what we do up to um, another level. And again, it points out that the orchard is pretty much where it started. It just kept going. It's like a giant <laughs> climb the hill, climb the hill, you know, get up there. Oh, something's happening. All right. We'll take advantage of that. Something's happening, you know? Yeah. And there's so many inside of it. There's so many great things. I mean, I, I think I told you that we're involved with, um, with our Latin artists are doing so great. Well, there's someone at the orchard that was legal and doing deals. He didn't speak Spanish. He studied and became fluent in Spanish so he could deal and grow these. Wow. Jason. Yeah. When I was at a conference, talk about women. When I was at a conference in Singapore, I met someone, uh, Priyanka Diwan. I was introduced to her. She showed me around Singapore and stuff. I spent time at the conference. We talked. I came back and I said, you know, I think it was to Brad and Colleen. We're looking for, we didn't have an office in Singapore at the time. I said, we should open one up and we should hire her, you know? Yep. And sure <laughs> enough, sure she enough. does a really good job. But yeah. what does she do? It, one of the things she does in Korea, she finds that a, a band named BTS and the company um, mm-hmm. needs some better distribution. That's it. So these accidental things, which really aren't accidental, become um, become something that enriches the whole thing. And, you know, and I started off as CEO. We had a CEO in the middle called um, um, Greg Scholl, who did a really good job. And then growing up within the company, Brad, Brad Navin. Brad Mm -hmm. Navin is great. He made he made two amazing decisions. One was when he became CEO, a drive toward technology and development. Uh, we have about 20 people on the entire floor at 45 Orchard Street, pretty much devoted to um, technology. And that was his move. And the other move, and I don't want to embarrass anybody, but the other move was he comes in one day and there was somebody he met that was working in the UK who happens to be English. And I think it's the best thing because she's amazing. He said, I found this person. We should really get her involved with us. Colleen, Colleen Tice. And, (laughs) and it happened like that. That's how she came to the orchard. First ran the UK because she had been living in the UK and working with, uh, uh, Warner's distribution there. And she was experienced and then she ran that and then came to the U.S. And she is the active COO of the company and runs the day-to-day of the company. So between Brad, mm-hmm. and Brad, Navin, and Colleen, we have a great senior executive uh, team. Again, like Independence, their door, my door, totally open. Anyone from the from the lowest level employee to highest level employee it makes no difference. Everybody's the same. And that, that brings up what makes the orchard truly great is the culture. People love to be part of it. They feel comfortable. They're treated with respect and they respect the company. They respect the orchard. 
and everybody feels they're part of a family. And if you're building a, any sort of business, that's what you really want. You want people to mm. feel. You want people to feel and believe. And probably the last thing I'll say is I actually had built a recording studio. It's right there. We have a full service recording studio available to any of the artists that want to use it. And I went back to making records. <laughs> so I went full <laughs> circle. So after I get done with this, I have a car picking me up. I'm up at, up in my house outside the city and uh, going down to the studio to do a recording. <laughs> How great. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Richard, so, that's so awesome. Full so, circle. So full circle. So I don't know. I did a lot of talking, Portia. I, I, I hope any of it <laughs> made sense because I don't monitor what I say. I try to just speak. <laughs> You know, but well, I really do feel I'm really so happy for you and happy to talk to you about this. But I'm so proud of what the orchards become. I'm so proud of where it started. And I'm, I'm proud of the music business in general. I mean, I wish we could still go into studios and hire musicians. Yeah, a little bit it happens, but now you can make music and you can make it at home. You can sell it. You can. The, the chances are unlimited. The possibilities are there. That's the world we live in, and it's a great. It, it's a great world in that sense. Uh, as long as we keep uh, our sights on remembering that where we. I always think that we have to remember where we came from. You know, but I come from yeah. a different place than, than somebody imagined seven, eight years old now. Right. The only world they know is this world. So we have to tell them that something existed before it, you know, to, to enrich their uh, knowledge and education. Anyway. Well, Richard, you are an inspiration. Seriously, you know, your career has been so multifaceted and you've done so many amazing things. And you know, turning the orchard into the the force of nature that it is now, you know, I mean, I, I feel lucky that I was there in the beginning to see that little office on Orchard Street and, and sort of, you know, my bass player's boyfriend was the office manager. It was very, you know, it was sort of like a very cozy little um, business, but, you know, nobody knew how it was, what was going to, what it was going to grow into. And so it's, it's very exciting Congratulations. I'm sure you're very proud. And, uh, you know, here's to 25 more years of the orchard. Uh, yes, here's to 25 more years uh, of the orchard. And uh, and my hope is that there are people out there that might hear this and say, you know, i got an idea. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I don't know that I'm going to be a billionaire from it, but I'm going to expand this idea. And mm-hmm. I'm going to allow my idea to grow and I'm going to do it for the love of it. Not that I don't want to get rich from it, but I'm going to do it for the love of it because that's what will make yeah. me rich. Because as soon as there's some degree of success, I'm already rich. And yeah. then the rest, the rest is what happens. Yeah. yeah. And the excitement. I mean, you know, you, you pointed out a couple of things in this interview that I think are really great, which, by the way, best interview that I didn't have to ask any questions. During, oh, no, no, ever. sorry. So I talked too much. <laughs> no, it was perfect. It was so perfect. You said all the things I was going to ask anyway. 
but you know, you you mentioned that you know one of the great things about the music business and the mysterious things is that it changes all the time. And so yes. to have an idea, to have thoughts about, well, what if we try this? What if we do this? Is actually really really wise because it's going to change in ways that you can't necessarily predict. And so there there's no downside to taking a chance to trying something to see if it works. Right. You you just have. And and I think that's the I I think that I would give that advice to my granddaughter who's eight years old or nine years old. Uh, you know, I don't just play. <laughs> don't just ask your mom to buy you something on Roblox. You know, <laughs> <laughs> think of something. What could you do? You know, what is it? You know, what is it that participating in the game triggered in you? to think that you might be able to do something. And I, I just I just look at the world as it uh, continues to grow like this. I just, I love what, I love in a sense what's going on. What I miss in recording is the need to sit in a studio. Because remember with the Hissy Fits, you had to do that. Um, Absolutely. You know, in a studio, make a noise that goes together with another noise that winds up being the color that people love that, that stimulates them to want to participate and listen to your music. It's sort of like, you know, being a painter, you know, when you have mm-hmm. to mix your own colors. Today yeah. it's a little easier, but still I, I do miss that interaction, but at the same time, I just think you have to live where you are. And this is how music is made today. Hopefully it, it'll be a combination of real instruments uh, and uh, and digital will come back to that a bit. But I'm so happy people can just sit and make music and get a chance to uh, demonstrate it and have it available to people. Yeah. You know, so I think the future is bright. And I think yeah. the orchard will, as it did in the past, as things continue to change, it'll be in a position to look at the change and uh, and adapt to it. It's in a perfect position now. And, uh, oh, uh, gosh, I didn't even talk about, um, you know, growing some artists, artist services. I mean, look at the, what's happening to the independent community. The chances are now an independent can, can maintain ownership of their, of their own product and still get the help and support of a um, service that's able to provide marketing, radio, um, advice. It's great. And um, yeah. Yeah, we're we're entering a world where ownership is not quite as important anyway, you know, because things are available to us and we have them. So music yeah. plays a very valuable part in all of it. Absolutely. Well, on that note, Richard Goderer, thank you so much for all you've done and your brilliant career. And it's been a delight to talk to you. And thanks for being with me today on The Future of What? Oh, yeah. Thanks, Portia. It's a pleasure. And I am now going to go back and try to find the Hissy Fits recording. And I'm going to write, I'm going to write you about that. Maybe it's great, you know, but we can do something with <laughs> oh, it today. So. <laughs> okay, take care. I'm going to say no, but thanks so much, Richard. Okay, bye. <laughs> take care. Bye. Bye. 
You're listening to The Future of What? Follow us on all platforms at MusicBizAssoc, A-S-S-O-C, to find out more about MusicBiz and hear about what's coming up next. My guest today is Colleen Tice. She's the Chief Operating Officer at The Orchard. Welcome, Colleen. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for having me, Portia. I'm so happy to have you. Um, And I'm especially excited to talk about The Orchard because I don't know if you know this, but my band is one of the original like 150 bands that was on The Orchard back when it was on Orchard Street. Amazing. Wow. Well, we want to maybe we can get you guys together for a reunion show this summer as part of our 25th anniversary. Oh, my God. Please please don't. I swear if I I never want to be in a room with my lead singer ever again. (laughs) It was a nightmare. (laughs) People don't well, talk about that part. You did tell some great stories about the times then. How's that? Yes, that that will absolutely work. I love that. Cool. So um, I had a great chat with Richard about, you know, just the whole genesis of, of the orchard, you know, from when it was on Orchard Street. And it was basically an idea about how to get independent musicians CDs into record stores when they didn't have distribution, when they weren't signed to labels. I mean, which is a wonderful thing, you know, and it is hilarious in the age of, you know, streaming now because that is, is, you know, that's not our problem anymore. We don't have that issue. Uh, But it turned into, you know, this sort of premier digital distributor and you guys have really taken it uh, global over the last 25 years. And you've been a big part of that in the last like 11, right? Yes, yeah, so I joined the company in 2011, so it's been, you know, in my second decade now, Woo. which is crazy the time really flew by, but certainly the orchard was in a really different place in 2011 uh, than we are now, and I think it's just was a confluence of events, you know, the way the industry turned, the iterations of, of the web, and, and the way that technology has exploded, and uh, the interconnectivity around the world really helped underline what The Orchard was doing all along, which was trying to sign music from different countries all over the world and make it available to people in other parts of the world. And not only just make it available, but also enhance and amplify it so that people could discover new and interesting things. Isn't it amazing? You know, I think, you know, when you, 11 years ago when you joined the company, could you ever have thought that there would be such a huge market in this country, for example, like Korean music, K-pop? No, definitely. Yeah, right? I mean, that's the fun thing about this business, right? That music is totally subjective and that um, the fan and, and artist connection now is, is stronger than ever. And so the fans and the music community actually control the taste versus companies pushing things out and telling people what they should listen to. Exactly. What have you been seeing lately in terms of global, you know, sort of uh, trends? Well, I think there's no secret about um, the rise and explosion of Latin music as well um, outside of Spanish-speaking countries. And so that's really exciting and, and awesome to see. Uh, we've got one of our marquee artists that we work with, Bad Bunny, um, you know, still sings all of his songs in Spanish and doesn't really even communicate um, in English to his fans or when he does TV appearances and stuff. It's very limited. So but he's managed to build... Um, a well-rounded career that even goes beyond music. Now he's been, you know, a guest um, in the uh, WWE World Wrestling WWF. Okay, so he had a stint as a wrestler, and you know he's been on Narcos Mexico. He's about to star in a feature film uh, with Brad Pitt, 
And so, you know, it just really shows that the world has opened up um, to different genres, styles, and that language isn't really, there's more than, than one way to communicate through language, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, music has always been at the forefront of that type of like, you know, cross cultural communication, which we are happy to see. I just, it's just interesting to me because I really feel like, you know, there was a time certainly when I started in this business 25 years ago or whatever, where, you know, the most exotic we got was sort of regional. Yeah. You you and I started about the same time and it was definitely a global, if it was a global market, it was controlled by Anglo music from the US and UK every now and then a band from Australia and really like the access to, to different ideas and styles was you really had to go digging for it, you know, and, and now it's, it's everywhere. So you still have to go digging for it because there's so much to sift through, but, you know, back to emerging styles and and genres, I think this year is going to be the year that Afropop really explodes onto the American scene in a way it's already taken hold in Europe and, and other parts of the world, but you're hearing it in a lot of uh, the beats and a lot of hip hop and also reggaeton and different styles that we're more accustomed to listening to here in America. And definitely, even though some of the songs are not in English language, it doesn't matter. Like They're really catching fire. So it'll be really fun and interesting to see where that goes. Yeah. And that's I love also, like you said, it's uh, it's because of what the kids are listening to. Right. right. The kids are excited about it. it I, were you at the Women in Music event last week? I can't remember if you were there. Yes. Yeah, yes. I, I was too. Did you hear what happened when Carol G walked on stage? I was in the room. I heard what happened. Yeah. Like it was, the screens were crazy. It yes. was bananas. It was bananas. I was like, okay, well, now we know what, yeah. <laughs> what the kids like. And, you know, that's the first time I think that Women in Music has actually sold tickets to the public. So uh, back to the point I was making earlier, it's very easy to see or hear um, you know, which artists have the the most direct connection with the people that paid to come in and, and enjoy the moment. Exactly. And that was that was really cool to see. Um, so you have always been a big technology person. And, you know, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I think, really? yeah. <laughs> and I think that that's, you know, uh, so talk a little bit about because I'm sure that's one of the things that you focus on in your role at the Orchard is just, you know, thinking about how technology I mean, you know, the the annoying part about the music business is that so much of what we do is is we play catch up, you know, technology changes and then we try to catch it. But you guys are kind of in a, a great position to, to sort of be more in the leading role rather than the catch up role. Yeah, I would I laugh because um, I was I would not have considered myself a technology person uh, before I, I took the role at the orchard. And in fact, uh, that was one of my hesitations. I thought, you know, I don't really know enough about all of this. And and Brad said to me, you know, digital distribution, it's, there's a, a lot less barriers to entry than, than physical. And it took me about six months to actually kind of get my head around how things worked at the orchard and when I joined back in 2011. But yes, then it was very easy to see like, oh, gosh, you know, you can use technology to solve so many and apply to almost any quandary or, or issue that we have in the business, um, except for, of course, the personal connection, although you can use it to to scale that and, and put it on steroids, right, mm-hmm. by creating that interconnectivity. But, you know, the Orchard, I think, as a, as a business, you know, it was born from digital. So very easy for the company to uh, continue iterating on the original vision that Scott and Richard had, which was, you know, about getting independent music out across the world. And, and we've never really deviated from that. But through the years, we've built a lot of different um, technologies and added on other services to help 
evolve what that looks like. And that's, you know, what we're going to keep go- doing because to your point, technology moves you know, faster than, than the average business. So we always want to be in front of that. And we always want to be looking at, you know, what we can do to help our creators be able to free up time to be more creative and not have to worry about connecting the dots on the business side. Yeah. Which is really, you know, if in, from from my perspective, that's been one of the most annoying things about the digital explosion is that it's almost created the situation where independent artists have to wear like 40 hats. You know, right. they have to become their own business manager. They have to track all the money. They have to figure out how, you know, how PROs and publishing work. They have to just do all this work. Well, that brings up an interesting point about independent artists. Like you still need a team around you, mm-hmm. now, even if you are your quote, your own CEO you do need a team that has expertise in some of these different areas, whether you work with a company like ours or you put together a group of people that are going to weigh in on the the different areas that you just touched on and and others, because you need to have that time to have the creative space to be able to, you know, do what you're, you got into music because you love to create music and you love to connect with your audience, not because you want to go collect your money from the other side of the world from a PRO. <laughs> Figure out how to get your restaurant, uh, you know, play mechanical royalties or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> performance or even, performance royalties. Know, getting on a, a television show or, you know, having a great feature in a magazine or, you know, being on a radio station. That stuff doesn't just happen generally. Right. There's usually a very large team of people around, um, you know, that, facilitate that. And whether they are through a services model or you're signed to a label, independent or major, you do need a team. Yep. Absolutely. I've been saying that ever since everybody started saying, you nobody needs a record label 10 years yeah. ago or whatever it was. And I'm like, okay, fine. You don't need a label, but you need a team. Yeah. And you know, record labels are communities. They've had to evolve uh, what they offer and how they work, but it's about being with a like-minded group of people that understands, you know, where you fit in terms of your musicality in terms of what you want to achieve as an artist. If you have philanthropic goals, if you want to partner with other artists, you know, it it helps if they're all in that same community. Exactly. Absolutely. Well, I don't want to take your whole day. So I just want to ask you one more question, which is what is exciting to you about what's coming up in the distro world? What's exciting to me, I think, is uh, that ability to more deeply engage with fans and audiences and make sure that we keep pushing the, the envelope on discovery, right? Whether it's through matching artists with other like-minded artists to do collaborations, or if we can look, mirror lookalike audiences and find ways to connect with them directly, you know, it's all about owning your message and owning your fan base. And part of the decentralization, you know, with web three and stuff, that's going to even uh, charge it up even more because the gatekeepers will continue to devolve. So I think the exciting things are looking at that that direct connection, how to enhance it, how to supercharge it, and also different ways to reach people when you can't always be there in person. So whether it's through live streaming or augmented reality or hybrid events, you know, all those things that we had to do during the pandemic, there's value in them and there is a way to take that forward into a post-pandemic space. Awesome. Well, Colleen Tice, the Chief Operating Officer at The Orchard, thank you so much for being with me today on The Future of What? It was definitely a pleasure. Thank you, Portia. (laughs) Thanks, Colleen. And that's our show. Our theme song is Mind Your Own Business by The Delta Five and is played by permission. Subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. 
Today's show was engineered by Gio at Third Wheel Studios in LA and by Anthony Luciani at the Nashville Entrepreneur Center. It was produced by Dana Rogers and Henrik Bick. I'm Portia Sabin, president of the Music Business Association. See you next time. Can I have-